Hey, uh, welcome, James, to Dear Talent. Oh, thanks for having me. This is I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, you you actually my first Anglophone uh, guest. <laughs> I'm sorry. Talent, so I'm sorry. I'm glad it's with you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to scare an entire country of people. Like, what? This is what Americans are like. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> um, yeah, so maybe for the people who are uh, discovering you, uh, can you maybe uh, tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. I am uh, James Ellis. I'm an employer brand nerd. That is all I think about. That is all I talk about. That is all mm -hmm. I write about. That is all I build. That is all I discuss. That is all I podcast about. That's all I interview about. That's uh, everything is about. I, look, I'm an old dude and it took me a very long time to find the thing I was actually passionate about. And I've decided mm -hmm. to jump in with both feet. So I've written a couple of books. Uh, the most recent one is Employer Branding for Small Business, uh, recently in an Amazon bestseller, which was kind of fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just in the HR charts. So it's not like Like, it's not like Oprah's coming to swing by and say, ooh, let's put some stickers oh, on Almost. Almost. The Oprah oh. of talent acquisition. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take that. I'd like to know who that is, though. That would be – that's a whole panel discussion right there. Mm -hmm. Who is the Oprah of TA? Um, but, yeah, so I'm, I'm very much about – thinking about employer, employer brand as a means to make recruiting, talent acquisition, and businesses in general better. Right. It's not uh, so much of employer branding is, oh, let's just sprinkle the magic fairy pixie dust on things. And magically mm -hmm. it's wonderful. And it makes the pictures prettier and it makes the job postings read like a human wrote it who wasn't angry at somebody. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's not what it is. It's about finding that perfect match. Really, it's all about how do we help businesses set themselves up so that they're attracting the people they actually want to hire, not a pile of applications. So that's really what it's about. And from that, there's all sorts of uh, impacts and knock-on effects we could talk about, but this is really where I'm completely focused. So you're actually too fast. It was actually my first question. <laughs> You're too fast. <laughs> well, actually, uh, employer branding is really like that. We can still keep unpacking it because there's a classic definition. I say classic as if this isn't a thing that we invented three years ago uh, or 30 years ago. I'm sorry, Simon. Uh, the employer brand is really this idea of what, what do people think it's like to work there? And that perception is individual, meaning what you think of it's like and what I think it's like is different and we're both right. It comes from all sorts of different touch points. So if I buy your product and I like it, I like your brand. And if I buy your product and I go call customer service and they're a bunch of jerks, I don't like your employer brand. So it has all these different impacts and touch points. What I find more interesting, though, is the question of what is employer brand for? Right. The idea that it is your reputation or that it's your what's people's perception. I think we've gotten that to some extent. The real value of employer brand is not that you sprinkle and make the things better. It's that you're increasing desire amongst the talent you actually want to hire. Too many companies are desperate for the award that says we're a fantastic place to work or we just want lots of people to apply. They're basing this kind of idea of TA and recruiting around this idea of if we have a bigger haystack, we'll have more needles. Now, I don't know if that's an aphorism that's made across, you know, to your side of the world, uh, but that's not how needles get made, right? That's not how it works. What you do is you have a bigger haystack, you have more hay, and if you're lucky, there's a needle in it. However, if you gear everything you do towards building and creating needles, well, then you're having a different thing. So to me, employer brand is about creating desire so that I want to work for you because I understand what you offer me. I understand the day-to-day -day existence. I understand what, you're, what you care about, what your whys are, what your focus is, you, you know, the experience, the culture, the values, what have you. There's all sorts of things, but I get what that's about. And I say, yes, I want some of that. Or 
No, thank you. I do not. And that's a good answer, too, because that means Mm -hmm. it relieves room for someone else who wants what you have to offer. The problem is every company sounds exactly the same. Every company, every company, every single company. Look at job postings. You can't tell one company from another. With Mm -hmm. rare, rare, rare exceptions, are they all different? And the problem is, is we've become so focused on what does Google do? What does Meta do? Or what does whatever company do? And we just play follow the leader. And Mm -hmm. I think we need to remind ourselves that follow a leader is a game you actually cannot win. It's a game you win by staying in the middle of the pack. You don't stand out. You don't show up by being a follower. You stand up by understanding what are you about? What does your company care about? What is special and unique and interesting and memorable about that and projecting it and describing it. So the people who want that hear it and find you. So does it mean that we need to be necessarily, I'll say maybe bolder? No, the term maybe like more, or does it need to be more authentic? You know, like what does it mean exactly? Not to not be like to not just copy paste, you know, what yeah, the, the yeah. biggest player do. Yeah. The, the problem, so yes, and the problem I have with the word authentic is that it suggests this idea of it allows me to be my worst self. Right. If you go to the surgeon, you do not want the surgeon to be their authentic self, because what if they had a bad day? You want them to say, I'm going to put that aside. I'm going to focus on what I'm doing here. I'm going to focus on the task at hand. What I think is more interesting is a term called embracing reality. Say, look, this is what it's really like. There's there's some sort of weird thing in recruiting that says we can only say the nice things. We can only say the positive things. We can only put on the rose colored glasses and and describe in excruciatingly painful sugar-coated detail how wonderful we are. Except we all know it's a job. And if they didn't pay you, no matter how good it is, you would not show up. Mm -hmm. So therefore, there is a downside. There's this other part of the job. And embracing reality says both sides can be true. And in fact, the really interesting part is when you start to get away from just saying what is the nice parts and talk about the other side of the coin, what is the downside, not only does it make you sound more credible, which it does, it also creates credibility around the idea. So here's an example. Let's say I tell you, or actually let's, let's do this. Let's go to a review site and we go to a company and we look at the review and the review says, oh, this place is a horrible nightmare of a company. It's total chaos. Nobody knows what's going on. No one's in charge. There's no rules. There's no responsibilities. Everybody's off in all sorts of different directions. I don't know what the heck was going on. Stay away. Send. Done. Sounds like a horrible place to work. Except... Someone could come in and respond and say, yep, that's right. This is the company that cares a lot about offering maximum autonomy to everybody who works here. That means removing as many roadblocks, as many regulations, as much red tape, as many guidelines, because ultimately we assume you're the expert. You tell us what the rules are. Not everybody's cut out for that. Mm -hmm. So I hope you have a great time at wherever you end up. It's the same company. And it turns out that if you're offering something like maximum autonomy, which is great, talking about how not everybody actually likes that or what what it looks like in reality, that sometimes it's a little chaotic, it's a lot messy, and it's hard to – not only did that solidify the idea, it explained how – you allow maximum maximum autonomy. Too many times we just say, we have lots of autonomy. We have lots of innovation. We have lots of whatever it is, but you don't explain how or what the drawbacks are to that idea. Allowing your, your, your company to embrace that reality makes it real. And that's really worth what's a lot of fun because employer brand is not about positive thinking. It's about accurately describing what it's really like there. 
Uh, so we actually didn't say but this episode this episode is actually a bit special just because we asked people on LinkedIn you know if they had any questions uh, and they do um, so I would say close to the end you know you will have the opportunity to uh, answer them I'm terrified Maybe <laughs> we will actually, well, we're actually talking about, about you know, we, you said at the beginning that obviously employee branding is very important for talent attraction. Yeah. One of the questions was, does it have also an impact on talent retention? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the thing about employer brand is that because it is the connective tissue to so much of what the company does, it's the human face of the marketing right? It's the human face of the company. It has lots of different impacts. And I like to say that while employer brand is, the talent acquisition is employer brand's first client, it's not their only client. So if you start to understand, so let's go back to this incredibly autonomous company, right? This, this fake company I've made up, which I haven't made up, but I will not name names. Um, if you say, look, we're all about autonomy and we care about autonomy and the employer brand is about autonomy and that's what we communicate to candidates, but that means we also communicate it internally. And that has a couple of things that happen. One, if it's accurate, if it's true that you care about maximum autonomy, what you're doing is you're attracting people who make that idea real. Right? These people are attracted to maximum autonomy. You give them autonomy. They talk about autonomy. That attracts more of the same. So it becomes a flywheel. The more you are a thing, the more you're about that thing because you're attracting more of those people who want that thing. It also means that if you are someone who works there and you care and you're reminded over and over again that you like maximum autonomy, yes, there's a downside. and Yes, there are drawbacks, but that's life. But you're here because of this. When a company comes and says, we'd like to poach you because we can offer you autonomy, they're just going to say nice words. You know what's real here. You have credibility here. You know that when they say autonomy, this is what they mean. When a, when a recruiter tells you, it's like when a used car salesman tells you that car is going to last a long, long time. You don't know how to believe them. They might be the nicest people in the world, but they don't come with credibility. And since most brands do not accurately prove or to a credible, validatable sense what they actually do, it's just puffery. It's just pretty words. And so you stay because you know what's real. So there's a, a retention impact there. And what's really interesting about that is it also helps kind of support the sense of what are the values. It reinforces those values. This is what we offer. This is why you like it. This is why you're here. The people who stay want more of it. They actually get on the culture team and they get on the uh, employee engagement team. They talk about how do we maximize autonomy? How do we get more of it? How do we talk about it? What? How do we it becomes its own self-fulfilling prophecy. Is it true that we need a big budget to work on employer branding? That's that's a big subject. So you we can have five yeah. episodes of that, but we only have one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so what, is it true? Yeah, it's absolutely true. You need at least $5. It's a it's a huge budget. Wow. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> translate that to euros however you see fit. I, I can't do that. I'll, I'll Google that later. Look, an employer brand is the reason why. What's that cost you? Nothing. It costs you. Just understanding yourself is, is free. It's not easy, but it's free. Communicating that means taking this idea and embedding it in everything you do. Embedding it in the job posting, that's free. Embedding it on the career site, you're already paying for that, so that's free. You're embedding it in the social media. You're doing that already, so that's free. Maybe make a video. Get yourself a little supercomputer. You stick in your pocket. You make a quick video. That is 
free, right? You can do so much to embed these ideas into what you're doing to make it crystal clear. What does the $5 go to? Well, I like to take sidewalk chalk and go to the conference of the people I'm trying to hire and write an incredibly compelling message outside the conference doors because it's unusual, it's surprising, and what I have to say had better be interesting, obviously. That's enough to get people started. So I can prove this. I know that sounds like it's, it's fun, and, and the, the sidewalk chalk is a bit of a joke, but it's not. I built Groupon's employer brand, and in a year, we went from kind of a, oh yeah, Groupon, right, who wants to work there, to the number two employer brand in Chicago in a year, and I spent less than $500. And I'll tell you right now, I spent most of that money on stickers. It was about finding ways to leverage what was interesting about the company, what was special about the company, amplifying those ideas, not by buying ads, but by asking the people who lived it every day to talk about it, to take those messages and stick it online, stick it on social, let them give them space. A company like that, which has thousands of employees, the problem is one story doesn't do it because the story of a developer who sits in Chicago is not going to tell the exact same story of a data scientist in the Valley or of a salesperson in Australia. And I want to communicate all those things, but it's the internet age. So why can't I have them fill out a Google form with 10 really interesting questions and let them answer questions. And I look at the responses and I say, that's really interesting. I like that. Grab it, stick it on a template on a website that I already own for free because that's easy. Publish it. And now they're going to promote it. Hey, everybody, look, my company just wrote a profile about me. It's amazing. That communicates out to their networks. So if I want to hire data scientists, I talk to data scientists. I publish about data scientists. We I ask questions and give prompts around the brand. They talk about those ideas through the brand and they communicate it to that. And then the flywheel starts to happen. As people start to engage in this process, they read previous stories and they go, wow, everybody really talks about lots of opportunity here. I guess that's what I'm supposed to talk about. And they do. And the flywheel really starts to ramp up. So it's completely possible to do it for almost no money. It's impossible to do it for free if you don't have anything interesting to say. I mean, you can do it, but it won't do you any good. What matters is understanding how you're different and not just in a, I'm going to put a chicken outfit on and hold a sign outside. Hey, everybody, look at me different, but in a differentiated value kind of way to say, if you're here, we offer you X and you want X because you cannot get X other places. Once you understand what X is and apply a little time and a little creativity to explaining it and describing it and proving that idea, that doesn't cost you a thing, but it places you and positions you very, very strongly. And and actually, many uh, many companies make the choice to actually hire like a marketing agency, so an external uh, vendor for that. Yeah. Um, but for many reasons, because sometimes like they don't have you know the the, the skill set in house. But also sometimes to help them, um, because what what is also common is the, the disconnect sometimes with like what the C suite you know is is would like to, to say what they like what they would like to have you know yeah. in the future what is actually there, um, and and you know to, to make sure we have somebody who is objective you know, about okay and here's yeah. what the market is looking for. <laughs> you know, because the, yeah, you know, because sometimes, you know, especially people you know who create maybe their own company, they can be very emotional. You know, they have their own reason yes. to create it, but maybe yes. that's not what not somebody else now might be actually lo looking for. Yeah. So, um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts there. So, first off, 
There are employer brand recruitment agencies who are good at this, no question. There are marketing agencies who could be good at it. There's a problem with hiring a classic ad marketing agency because their job is to get you more. They want more leads. They want more shelf space. They want more eyeballs. They want more impressions. They want more clicks. They want more sales. They want more, 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 more. Every metric is a function of can we get more? Now ask your recruiters, do you want more applicants or do you want better applicants? And that conversation, exactly. It's not even a question. It's not even a question. So when marketers try to do employer branding, they lean on the things they know. They lean on the assumption that more is always better. It's how they prove their value. And I get it. They're supposed to. Good. But when you move over to TA, it doesn't fit the same way. However, there's a balancing act that gets to happen. You're right. If you're inside the pickle jar, it's really hard to read your own label. It's not something that's very natural. You can be super emotional, especially if you get to the C-suite where, you know, in a smaller company that's two, 300 people, if they're the founder, this is their baby. And, and an employer brand sometimes can be presented as here's how your baby's ugly. And no one wants to do that. And no one wants to hear that. So I don't no. think of it that way. What I think of it as, if you think of it as what's your differentiated value, it, it removes some of the emotion from it. So I don't want to tell a CEO, hey, your, you know, your company is really bad at culture. That's that sounds like a judgment and I'm not here to make mm. a judgment. What I'm here to do is say, this is how I would describe and position your company to attract the maximum candidates that you want, the people you actually want to say. I would say, this is a place where your culture is not great, but there's a lot of room for people to make an impact, right? There's a way of doing that. Now that isn't spin. That's simply saying of anybody who wants to come here, what's something that's accurate and true and specific and concrete and attractive to them knowing that it comes with baggage. No, no company is perfectly happy. You know, for all the people who are happy at Google, there are parts of Google they don't like. For all the people who are happy at, you know, Eurorail, there are parts of that the job they don't like. It's fine. So it's about thinking of employer brand as the hook that draws people in and then giving them a more holistic picture of what it's like to do that work. Um, and that's why employer branding is not owned by leadership because it not shouldn't necessarily be that way. An employer brand has four... Uh, ingredients, if you will. The first is, what do people who work there see today? What is accurate? What is real? What is boots on the ground? What does reality look like? Two, what is the future of the company? Because that's where leadership should be focused. Leadership's focused on where is the company going? How is it growing? Are we going to acquire other companies? Are we changing industries? Where are we going? The third ingredient is, for a candidate who is looking at you, what is their options? Do they have two other companies in that you know, region where they're allowed to work that are alternatives to you or thousands? Like a lawyer can work anywhere because everybody needs a lawyer, unfortunately, at least in this country. But if you're, a, if you're a, a biochemist with a data science background, there's only about two dozen companies you can consider. And so the options matter. And the final is, what does a candidate actually want? Now, this is where things get into trouble because you've kind of mentioned this idea of let's build a brand around what people want. It's the wrong way to approach it. What do you already offer? Right? Think of it. If you're opening a restaurant and then you are you're an amazing Indian restaurant, but it turns out everybody likes hamburgers, you don't stop making Indian food and start making hamburgers. Mm-hmm. You find the people who want Indian food and you become the best at making that Indian food. And that's a great you know, success story. Not only are you one of the few companies or a few restaurants that serve Indian food, you are the best at it. 
Every company should endeavor to be an only or a best in their employer brand. We're the only company that offers this. We're the only company who offers that. Or we're the company that offers the most this or the most that. That is where an employer brand kind of has some structure that it can stand on its own. Trying to build a company around what you think everybody wants is a recipe for disaster. Because nobody wants everything. Everybody doesn't want the same things. Some people want autonomy. Some people want structure. You can't go north and south at the same time. You have to pick a direction and say, this is what we're about, so that the people who want that say, yes. Let's talk about numbers. I love oh, numbers. Um, in average, uh, what would you say is the uh, return on investment you know, for uh, a company who wants to invest? Um, we know we need just $5, but sometimes yeah. <laughs> invest more um, in, uh, in employer branding. It really depends on what the company is already spending. Employer brand's initial impact is a cost savings one. So businesses, TA gets in trouble because it doesn't speak the language of business because business only cares about five things, making money, saving money, extending the brand, don't get sued, stroke the ego of a leader. That's it. That's all a business ever does. The people who are successful speak in those five terms. And if I say those things, again, make money, save money. Uh, extend the brand, don't get sued, stroke the ego. None of that is, in, is, is employer brand and none of that is talent acquisition. They speak a different language. So when I want to connect what we do to the business, I have to sit to speak in those terms. And the term I most often speak to is it saves money. It lowers agency fees because suddenly you're not having to go out to headhunters and find people because you're attracting more of the people you want. You are lowering your recruitment marketing fees because you – look, the ads that say, hey, we're hiring – appeal to people looking for a job at this moment. Guess what? Those people are already on job boards and they're already seeing your jobs. You are spending money to convert people who are going to be converted anyway. It's a crazy way to spend money. So it saves all that money. Uh, on top of which, it lowers the time of empty seats, the time to fill rates, which means you're increasing the amount of productivity a company response. So just in those metrics, you're saving a lot of money, but it's a function of how big your company is and what you're spending it on. But there's two other things I want to talk about. The first is offer acceptance. Now, in, in, where in my world... Companies can offer jobs and see as many as 50 to, to 40% of those people say no. They're not interested. It's not the offer they want, and they're going to say goodbye, which is a, the absolute worst possible outcome for any recruiting because you spent all that time and money and energy interviewing and selecting and sorting and ads and all that stuff to get a no to go back to square one. If an employer brand can lower your offer, increase your offer acceptance rate by 10%, you can save tens of thousands of dollars every single year. And by the way, that's conservative because I've seen it save 17% year on year, which is massive amounts of money. And that's offer acceptance is one of those places where people don't think that employer brand has a value, but it does. Because if you think, wow, I saw your, your, your video about maximum autonomy. I like autonomy. I click apply. The interview process talks about autonomy 14 different ways. Wow, this place really cares about autonomy. That's amazing. And the offer letter says, hey, we know you care about autonomy because that's what drew, drew you in. Yeah, that's right. That is what I care about. Here's the offer we'd like to make. Just that model increases offer acceptance 10 to 20%. The last one is it extends your brand to an audience that marketing wants to reach. Now, I don't mean the candidates and, and buyers are different and they should be considered the same. What I mean is as an employer brand, I have influence over the people who work here. 
Like my job is to tell their stories. Marketing, classically, is considering services and products, right? No one cares who makes the McDonald's hamburger. Nobody cares who makes my detergent. Nobody cares who makes the car. But when there's a crisis, when there's a PR problem, the first thing you do is show off the people who work there. CEO said something bad, get rid of the CEO, bring in the fountain, bring in the people who work there. Look how wonderful they are. So this is a place where the marketing can have extra tools in its toolkit to speak about the human side of the company where before they're not used to doing that. So that's one of the other big impacts. But again, it's a function purely of how big is your company? Where is it spending? Because that's how much you get. That's how I would calculate ROI for employer brand. And um, do you think of, I would say, all the metrics? I know that when we actually, we can actually measure, you know, let's say as like, I start working on, uh, you know, the impact of branding. Mm -hmm. uh, and let's say I want to see the impact because, you know, what gets measures gets done. Um, so uh, how do I prove it's, it's, it's working? Yeah, start with basic metrics. And you're, if you do it right, employer brand should make every single recruiting tactic better. Your outreach should convert higher. Your social media should get more reach. Whatever you're doing, however you're measuring it, should get noticeably and demonstrably better. So start there because that's where the impact is going to be felt first. Employ, you know, hiring is a is a very very long process. Even if you make an amazing impact, it can take six months before you start to see it on the back end by who you're hiring, the quality of talent, the offer acceptance rates, that sort of thing. So start at the very top of the funnel. What are you doing now and how does it make that impact? You have to communicate to your leadership. This is a process that both has long-ranging uh, impacts, but it has short-term value. I think the too much of employer brand is about, I'll see in three years when we can show some impacts. No, 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 no. That's a great way to get fired. Start by showing what you can do today, and it starts with the recruiting and TA team. But set that expectation that every three months you are going to be preparing a report. But every report will grow because suddenly, like a like rain trickling through a through a drain spout, as employer brand starts to impact various levels of the candidate journey and the company, you'll start to add more metrics onto that reporting. And what will happen is, is that over the course of a year, what is just, hey, we got more people looking at LinkedIn turns into higher quality of talent. Marketing is using our work. We're working with marketing to tell our story, to embed more of this idea in what they're doing. So we increase sales because we know that showing human faces and showing the people who work actually increases sales, by the way. Uh, and you can figure out what you want. The, the question is, What do you want to measure? What do you, what impact do you want employer brand to have? It has so many potential impacts. Measuring them all is impossible. It's a full-time job. So where is the, that impact going to matter most and focus there? A question that speaks to everyone. Um, who is responsible? For oh, branding? boy. Is it TA or is it marketing? And if so, um, and also, are they the only one? Yeah. You know? There is no right answer to this. And I, if, if you want to start a fight with an employer branding, this is the first question you ask. Because they're all, there are so many schools of thought and no one answers and no one agrees. I have what I would think of what seems to be a fairly unconventional answer. So I'm a marketer. I was born a marketer. I have trained as a marketer. All my previous skill before employer branding is pure marketing. I have never recruited for anything in my life. Okay. I, I like to work at recruiting. Why? Because I already speak marketing. Two meetings in, marketing knows I know I get their pains, I get their problems, and I can I live with them. I, I speak their language. 
takes me extra effort to get recruiting to understand what I'm trying to do to help them. So if I work in recruiting and TA, it's like I have a passport to that world. I show up to their meetings. I build relationships very quickly. They understand that their metrics are my metrics, and I can build good relationships there, knowing that I already have kind of a, a visa to marketing. Right. That's how it is. If you're a recruiter, you go the other way. Please go work at marketing because it's an education by itself to see how they think and how they work because you already understand how recruiters work. They will already listen to you because you've done the job before. You have that visa to marketing or to, to TA. So go ahead and live in marketing. Ultimately, TA is the first client, but the entire company. Employer brand is not about making recruiting better. It's about making the company better, which does suggest that there's an opportunity to be bigger than marketing and recruiting, but there is no place where it makes sense. Like you could say, you conceivably, you could report to the CEO. Seems like a horrible idea. You could say you report directly to the chief people officer. Maybe you could say you report directly to the CMO. Maybe there's no good spot because ultimately it's just a home base because you're going to spend your entire job building relationships with every single VP, C-suite manager, hiring manager throughout the entire company. Where you live is not dogmatically structurally sound it's about you it's about what how do you maximize your value in that context one of the thing of the biggest challenge we see in the in the, in hr is you know we, we have a lot of programs you know we always create a lot of things um the challenge and i think <laughs> you see where i'm going is to maintain them um so um how do we you know so let's say yes we are working on appropriate branding with a great result but how do i make sure uh, it stays there. You know that it's yep. it first. It sometimes it might be updated through through, through time. Yep. How to, how to make sure I maintain it? Look, let's start with the basics, and that is, I can't think of anything more complicated and messy than a human. Maybe a group of humans, right? Put a bunch of people together. There is there's nothing more complicated. And HR's job is to manage and extract maximum value from those people over a long period of time, which means they are looking for ways to build structure, to build scale so that they don't have to hire 400 HR people. They can only have to have four. That's fine. That does create some rigidity in thinking. Employer branding is about extracting the humanity of this thing and projecting out to the world. So... If you're thinking about how to do employer brand, employer brand generally comes in its own maturity model, its own kind of growth curve. And it starts with usually uh, a pilot program. It starts with, hey, we should write better job postings that don't sound like two lawyers who are angry at each other who didn't speak the same language. Start there. And whether it's, hey, we should respond to these reviews, great, start there. Whether it's, hey, we need a career site, we should write something better, great, start there. A pilot project, when framed and couched in terms of this is a beginning of an employer brand thinking exercise, begets more projects. And what happens is you start with a pilot, it becomes successful, and you say, you know what, we should take employer brand seriously. Let's dedicate someone, maybe half time, maybe three quarters of their time, they're in charge of employer brand. They start to add on more projects and they spend more time and they're interfacing with recruiting and HR and net marketing, et cetera, et cetera. Then you say we need a full-time person and maybe they need some staff, maybe they need some support. And then you get to the point where there's a team. And then the ultimate goal of employer branding is to not exist, which sounds strange. The ultimate goal of employer branding is to be part of what I would think of as a brand team. Every company who thinks of employer brand and consumer marketing, consumer brand as separate is in trouble. They're schizophrenic. They're going in two different directions. They're, all, they're going to be in trouble. Companies who are able to get to the point where they understand that there's one brand 
and that the employer brand looks through that brand to speak to their talent audience. And that same brand, like a prism, is how the consumer marketer looks through to talk to their audience. It's the same thing. Now, when you think of it that way and you consider corporate brand and you think of investor relation brand, right, all those different users of the brand, if you think of them using one brand, what happens is when I do good work, when I talk about amazing people and the passion they bring to it, consumer marketing eats that up because they can use that to sell more product. It goes the other way because when they sell more product, the stock goes up. And when the stock goes up, as everybody knows, it's a lot easier to hire. So it's all very much about how we help each other. But that takes a lot of time and a lot of maturity to get to a single brand model. So that's kind of the curve of how you get to a place where employer brand has different impacts. Sometimes it's purely about talking to recruiters. Sometimes it's purely about talking to marketing. But over that growth curve, it engages more and more of the company to a point where it's part of a separate entity. Now it's time for the question we we'll receive actually from the public. <laughs> I get it ready. Um, okay, so from Diana, um, we uh, one of her first questions was, um, "What are the latest trends now you see in employer branding?" So it's really interesting because I think. In consumer marketing, we've seen a big wave of purpose-driven brands come out of them out of nowhere, it seems. Like everything is about drink this beer because this beer cares about saving the something or other, right? Purpose. And that started to fall apart. We're about two years behind that curve, but following a very similar path. Not every company has a great purpose. Some companies, in fact, I would say most companies are there to make money. That's their purpose, but you can't say that. Oops, my light just went off. Uh, you can't say that. You have to be about something bigger than that. You have to be something powerful, something meaningful, something saving the earth, saving the whales, saving the whatevers, right? That idea of purpose is driving it. But that is only true for a handful of employer brands, right? The fact that I'm working at uh, a Red Cross. Red Cross is a great purpose-driven brand. I don't mind the fact that I'm not going to be paid as much as I would at Facebook or Goldman Sachs because I'm saving lives. That's what I'm driven by. It comes back to this idea of what are people motivated by. And people who are motivated by, by, by mission, by value, great. There are places for that, but that is not most companies. Most companies are treating purpose as kind of like this fun, almost sugar-laden kind of sweet treat that it's easy to make it feel like you're doing something good. Exxon does a, spends a lot of money telling you how much they're saving the planet. What they're really doing is they send, spend more money telling you they're saving the planet than actually saving the planet, but that's really neither here nor there. But that's not a purpose-driven brand. What they're trying to do is apply a patina, some sort of whitewashing to what they're doing. Brands that understand that it's about the people, what are humans motivated by, what is their humans motivated by, that's a stronger employer brand. One of the things I talk about is how what a company rewards is what a company cares about. If they reward individual achievement, whoever gets the biggest, most sales gets the biggest bonus, that creates a culture of competition, cutthroatness, right? Winner take all. If the bonus is structured that says, if we meet a certain threshold, everybody gets the same bonus, that creates collaboration. 
What you reward is what your company cares about and it's what your culture is. So rather than focus on let's be all about purpose driven, think about what your company is rewarding, not just in terms of bonuses, but in terms of who gets the kudos from the CEO at the all hands meeting, who gets promoted, why do they get promoted, who gets attaboy and attagirls in meetings, what did they do to make that happen? That's what you, that's how you know what the culture is all about. Sometimes it's, it's about purpose, but most times it's not. Do you have, still from uh, a question from, uh, from Diana, um, do you have any tips to convince the C-suite, you know, to invest, uh, to invest more uh, in employer branding? Yeah, my, my, my trick is to never say the words employer or branding. Uh, and that's because people, especially in the C-suite, especially in leadership positions, there's a connotation, there's an expectation that employer brand means a certain thing, and they're almost always wrong. Chances are they had a friend who worked in a similar company in a similar role, and they invested 80,000 euros in employer brand, and the project didn't go very well, so therefore all employer brand is stupid. That's their thinking. So what I like to do is say, look, do you want A-level talent or C-level talent? A-level talent being game-changing talent, you're, you know, people who are going to make the company a 10x, 100x growth. They're going to invent the next thing. They're going to grow this crazy company. Or do you want the person who's going to do the job as they're told? Those are your choices. What do you want? Well, of course, they want A-talent. Great. What do you think they do all day? Do you think they're on job boards? Do you think they're reading job postings? Do you think they're ever at career site? What they have is a consideration set. They have five, 10 companies that they, in their mind, think one day it'd be kind of cool to work there. And by the time they start to look for a job, it's too late for you. They've already, they have that preconceived idea of what that list is. So what we need to do is get on their list before they start looking for a job. Yes, that extends the timeline somewhat, but this is how you get talent. Now, The C-level talent, they're the ones who are hitting apply because it's easy, because we've made it so incredibly two clicks and you're applying. Great. Yay. Good for you. They're the ones who are reading job postings. They're the ones who, when a recruiter reaches out, they say, yes, I'd love to talk. I have nothing else going on in my life. Please talk to me. A-talent doesn't respond to recruiters. They hear 10 a day. They ignore all of them. And when you look at what you're doing to hire talent, you realize that everything you're doing is designed to hire the mediocre and is pushing away the great. And when you start to couch it in those terms, the conversation changes. Suddenly they realize in order to grow, it's not about more job boards or more ads or more tool sets or more outreach. It's about changing our strategy. And that is what employer brand is. It's changing your talent strategy. Maybe the last one from uh, from Chloe is, uh, what are uh, some of the best employer brand initiatives you saw lately? Ooh, ooh, that's interesting. The stuff that's really interesting is not flashy. It's very easy to be attracted by the flashy stuff. Hey, we spent $100,000 on this thing. And it's super cool. Um, I have a friend of mine who runs a video shop, and she builds the most amazing, gorgeous, emotional videos. They're fantastic. But is that the only way to attract employer brand? No, no, there's a million ways. What's interesting about employer brand is that if you understand that it's about describing and explaining what's really real about your company, there's a million not flashy ways to do it. So what I'm always attracted to are the ways people find to do it for free or ways of doing it in a kind of guerrilla marketing style where it's not a big budget, it's not a capital item, it's not a line item on a budget or anything. It is how do we insert it in this thing that we're already doing? It could be well, gosh, we ship 4 trillion boxes every day. We have to tape those boxes together. 
why don't we change the label on the tape? Why don't, instead of saying work for us, what if we embedded our employer brand on the tape that people get wherever they go? That's interesting to me. That's really interesting. It is. It's finding ways around people's kind of preconceived barriers of, I'm not looking for a job, get away from me, right? It's how do you get around that stuff? It's creative thinking like that that says, well, gosh, we, you know, whether it's, uh, hey, we, we own a streaming channel, we should build commercials because those people are streaming. The people who love streaming are watching. That's who we want to bring in, lovers of streaming. So how do we engage on those levels? That's where the really interesting stuff happens. It's subtle, right? It's not a big change. It's about how do we – I'm, I'm going to take it back a half a step. I know it's kind of a, an old joke to refer to recruiting and dating as kind of a thing, the same thing. And it kind of is, and I get it. It's old. The problem is recruiting has been over-indexed on dating instead of marriage, right? We all have those friends who are really good at Tinder. They're really good at Bumble. They, they can get dates all day long. They know how to swipe. They know great pickup lines. They know great. They are great at dating. Are they ever getting married? No. Because what makes you great at dating is not what makes you great as a partner. The problem is, is as recruiters, as talent acquisition, as employer branding, we're overly focused on the dating aspect and not talking about what's it mean to be married to us? What's it mean to be in this experience? What does it mean to say you're in this culture? How does that culture impact you? How does you being here change me? And that is where the really interesting conversations are happening, which is why I think it's interesting. You're watching kind of offshoots turn into DEI conversations and employee experience conversations and retention conversations all valid because it's about extracting and describing what's magical about the experience of being here, how it changes you and how you change others. Thank you, James. Our time comes to an end. <laughs> Way up. It was, it was half an hour ago. Let's not be fair. Let's not kid um, ourselves. So for the people who actually would like to reach out to you, you know, like to continue, to continue this, uh, this conversation, where can they uh, contact you? I am on LinkedIn, but I also I run a company called Employer Brand Labs. So if you go to employerbrandlabs.com, uh, easy to find me. And also, that's my – let's see if I can focus. There we go. That's my newest book. It's on Amazon, wherever you are. Um, it's all hands-on. So hopefully, it's, it's helpful to somebody. You know what? I'm going to put all the links, all of them, Fantastic. and buy your book. <laughs> and so I will put all the links at the description of the, of the episode. Okay? Excellent. I appreciate uh, that. Thank you. No, no. Thank you. This has been fantastic. I appreciate the questions. And thanks, everybody, for asking good questions. Um, employer brand is still young, and we are still learning how to do it. And so I think being challenged and challenging others in a safe, comfortable, friendly way, this is how we're going to get better. Because ultimately, employer brand is here to make recruiting better. That's really all it's about. So hopefully, this has been useful.